Come on, continue to magnify his name. Continue to lift him up. Continue to lift him up. We serve an everlasting God. From age to age, yesterday, today, and forever. The God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. Will you lift your hands with me right now, wherever you are, whenever you may be watching or listening to this. I want you to lift your hands and enter into prayer with me. We don't just pray generally, but we pray directionally. We pray specifically knowing that God is the God who can answer specific requests. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we pray for everyone who is under the sound of my voice, everyone who is affected by this global pandemic. Father, we thank you that this has not caught you off guard. This has not caught you unaware, that you knew the end before the beginning, God. We thank you that we can trust in you. But, but Father, we're feeling pain. We're feeling uncertainty. We're feeling insecurity. You told us in your word to cast all of our cares upon you, which implies that you already knew we would have some cares. You already knew we would have some weights. You already knew we would have some pain. So, Father, right now I pray for every specific person who is gripped by fear. I pray for every person who is gripped by uncertainty, those who have lost their jobs, those who have lost opportunities, those who are unsure of what to do with their children now that there is no child care, those who are unsure about what is going to happen. I pray for those who are healthcare professionals and workers who are on the front lines and, and serving us so well. I pray for those seasoned saints and those elderly among us who are afraid to leave their houses. Father, I pray that you would make your spirit present in their house right now that your spirit would come in and shift the atmosphere, that they would feel divine arms wrapping around them in a way that they've never felt before. Father, I pray that we would take it seriously when you said we didn't have to be afraid. We don't have to be gripped by a spirit of fear, but we should be consumed with power, with love, and with a sound mind. Give us wisdom, oh God. Lead our governmental officials, God. I pray that they would advocate for policies that would make it easier for people, that would make it easier for them to uplift themselves in this time. And Father God, we recognize, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know the future. We may not understand what it is, so Father, I pray that you would give us the ability to trust you. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief that we may lean on you in new ways. God, even as the word goes forth, I pray that it would touch hearts, that it would dig up soil deep, in our souls and plant those seeds so that we may bear fruit in Jesus name and everyone said Amen. can you say it again Amen. choir you are dismissed thank you so much for what you have done how you have served us today if you have your Bibles and you're watching turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14 while you're turning it would be remiss of me not to mention that this is new this is new territory that we have here right this is brand new territory that we are breaking. This is our first ever online service here in the 28 years of New Dimensions Christian Center's existence. And I am so excited. I talked about this in the video when I announced it on social media that there are great obstacles, but we believe that this is a great opportunity and we want to embrace that opportunity. This doesn't happen without the tireless work and effort of our team, so I just want to acknowledge our teams, our wonderful choir for being here, our minister of music, Stephanie Connor, our band director, Sharvin Moore, our technical director, Chris Hendricks, our entire team. Thank you so much. Yes. And as you can probably tell, we're not in our, our typical setup, right? I received a text earlier this week from Pastor Josh Lipscomb, who is a senior pastor here at Liberty Church um, in this particular campus as well, Liberty Blue Angel. And he said, hey, man, if you need anything, 
If you need any facilities, if you need any equipment, we are available to you. So I just want to give it up for Pastor Josh and Pastor Kristen Lipscomb and the entire team. I think of Adam, I think of Clint. Uh, thank you guys so much for serving us so well. This is truly what it means to be the church, amen? John chapter 14, verse 1, it says here, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Uh, some of you probably remember this story on Thursday, August 5th, 2010. Life drastically changed for the people in the Atacama Desert in the country of Chile. Now, Chile had just endured a massive earthquake and, and a tsunami as well. And, and this created some geological instability and it produced these natural disasters that cre created the incident for this fateful day. In this fateful day, there was a significant cave in the 121-year-old San Jose copper gold mine, and there was a collapse in the mine. And the accident trapped 33 men over 2,000 feet underground. Hear me, 33 men over 2,000 feet underground. Now, they were buried alive in suffocating heat. And I remember that the news went live with this. I remember that there were people who were watching and monitoring it, but but as the days passed, the news media moved on from its instant coverage. They moved on from covering a second-by-second, minute-by-minute, day-by-day update because they assumed that these 33 men would not have the supplies to survive 2,000 feet submerged underground. But improbably, the miners just so happened to be in a shelter having lunch at the time. And if you're thinking that they had a gourmet meal, let me burst that bubble for you. You see, the inventory of food that they had access to, it was, listen, one can of salmon, one can of peaches, one can of peas, 18 cans of tuna, 24 liters of condensed milk, eight of which were spoiled, and 93 packages of cookies. Isn't that just like how we hoard stuff? We got cookies when we really need vegetables and fruit. And the reality of the matter is they had to ration this out over the course of 69 days. Did you hear me? Ration this out over the course of 69 days. At one point, each man was given one cookie every two days. And in time, they stretched that out to every three days to make the food last longer. Can you imagine what it would be like to be submerged under 2,000 feet? Can you imagine what it would be like to be buried alive under suffocating heat with no air? with no hope, not knowing if people were going to come down and get to you in time. And these men refused to give up. As the government officials continued to attempt to find ways to drill down to reach the surviving men, crowds of family members and well-wishers and friends, they gathered around with balloons, anticipating their release. And on October 13, 2010, 69 days after they had been submerged, the 33 miners were rescued from their captivity, 69 days. Now, much attention has been given to how the men survived. Much attention has been given to how they rationed off food. Much attention has been given to the fact that they were able to survive. But you see, if I had just one opportunity to talk to these men, I would only ask them one question. How did you remain hopeful in a time of trouble? How did you remain hopeful in the midst of trouble? I want to preach on something today. It's entitled, The Way Through Trouble. The Way Through Trouble. In many ways, this is the pivotal question of our lives, right? 
Is there a way through trouble? Now, I know we're in America. I know we're in the South. I know we're doing very well in comparison to most of the world. But I just want to encourage you to remember this fact. You can't insulate your life from trouble. Now, if there's one thing I've understood over the course of time, it's that trouble is universal. Trouble finds everybody. Trouble knows where you live. Trouble knows where you reside. Trouble knows where you hang out. Trouble knows your bank account number. Trouble knows where you go to, where you go to school. Trouble knows your health care provider. Trouble will find you, and there seems to be a sense in which most of us try to insulate our lives from trouble. If I could just make enough money, if I could just get that promotion, if I lived in a different neighborhood, if I had some sort of setup, if I had the right connections, or maybe you think this, if I prayed hard enough, and if I anointed myself most of the time, then I would be insulated from trouble. But the reality is it doesn't matter who's listening. It doesn't matter who's watching. I'm here to remind you everybody is going to have to face some trouble. Everyone is going to have to go through trouble. Trouble is universal. I remember reading this article from a guy named Troy Aikman. Some of you will know that Troy Aikman is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's a Super Bowl champion quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And, and they said, what is it like after you've won multiple Super Bowls? This is in the mid-90s, right after he had won, right after he had achieved his peak. And Troy Aikman said, you know, you like to think once you win a Super Bowl, it's going to take care of all your problems. You like to think once you reach the mountaintop, it's going to cure everything that ails you. He said, but the rally, reality is I've won twice already. The truth of the matter is, it hasn't changed anything. It hasn't saved me from anything. It doesn't matter how successful you are, church. It doesn't matter how achieving you are. It doesn't matter how much you accomplish in your earthly life. Everybody is going to face trouble. Everybody say trouble. What does trouble look like? Trouble can look like pain in your body. Trouble can look like ends that don't meet at the end of the month. Trouble can look like your kids wilding out. You don't know what in the world is going on with them, and especially now that you can't send them to school as easily as you could have before. Trouble looks like that. Y'all clapping a little too hard. I'm offended on behalf of your children. Y'all are clapping and shouting a little too much. How many of y'all know we're going to face some trouble? Trouble can be uncertainty. Trouble can be insecurity. Trouble can be pain. And the question is this, is there a way through the trouble that I'm facing? Jesus seems to give us a pathway. John chapter 14, he looks at his disciples and says, do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus gives us three steps, three ways, three pathways, three understandings of how to get through trouble. Look at John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Everybody say trouble. In other words, in another translation, it says, let not your heart be tossed and agitated like water driven by winds. Let me say it again. Let not your heart be tossed and agitated like water driven by winds. First thing Jesus points out here is a painful expectation. A painful expectation. How many of y'all know it's a lot of chaos going on right now? It's a lot of hysteria going on right now. I have to admit to you, I'm a pastor. Worship God every day, pray every day, praise God every day, in my word every day. But the reality is I've been on my phone so much. And I've been looking at the television so much that part of me is wondering whether or not we're going to make it through this. Is it okay for me to admit that? Is it? A, can we be honest? It's just us here. It ain't that many people here. You know, we social distancing. If we're honest with ourselves, there is this idea when pain hits, are we going to make it? 
The only way we get through that is if we acknowledge that pain really exists. I think it's important for us to acknowledge that for some people, this is an inconvenience. For other people, this is a life-altering incident. For other people, they are wondering how they are going to make it. For other people in underinvested communities, they are pain in different ways. And Jesus is talking to a group of men who are also in pain. Now, I have to ask this question. Whenever I open up the scriptures, whenever I get to a passage, I always want to ask the question is, what's going on in this passage? Because if someone is telling me, let not your heart be troubled, don't worry about anything, I'm trying to wonder, now, are they worried in the first place? You ever ask that? See, I'm trying to figure out, why would you be worried in the first place? You see, I can't identify with the disciples because, you, you know, they had access to Jesus in the flesh. Can you imagine what it would it be like to walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus and to see him perform miracles and to see him make things come out of nothing and to see him multiply bread to feed the five thousands? I said, well, that's the last thing I'm going to be as troubled. I know Jesus got this. You see, this is why it's important for us to read the context of a text so that we won't get a pretext, so that we'll understand what's actually being said. In John chapter 13, Jesus gives them some troubling news. John chapter 13 he says first, behind door number one, John chapter 13, verse 21, he said this, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Behind door number one is betrayal. One of you is going to betray me. You ever been betrayed? You ever felt the sting of someone when you stood up, when you went to another level that exposed your back and they plunged the knife deep into your exposed back? You feel some scars? Jesus looks at the disciples and says, one of you will betray me. And everyone says, oh, of course not, Lord. And then he dips the bread in the sauce and passes it to Judas and says, whatever you want to do, you do it quickly. They're looking and they're saying, oh, he's a traitor? Someone who walked with us for three years? Behind door number two, it doesn't stop there. He says, verse 33, John chapter 13, one chapter ahead, he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. Behind door number one is betrayal. Behind door number two is death. He says, I'm going to leave you at a certain point. Now, hang on, Jesus. You're supposed to be the king of kings. You're supposed to be the mighty one. You're supposed to be the promised one. Behind door number two is death. Behind door number two is humanity. But, but that's not all. See, in door number three, Peter talks a good game. His most vociferous disciple and defender, John chapter 13, verse 38, he says, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Behind door number one is betrayal. Behind door number two is death. Behind door number three is abandonment. And the disciples are staring down the reality of a painful expectation. Is anyone in here in pain? Is anyone in here hurting? Is anyone in here putting on a nice face? Is anyone in here smiling and talking to people and acting as though nothing is going wrong? But internally, you are driven and tossed. You are agitated. And you know what tends to happen? We tend to think that because we serve Jesus, we're not going to face any pain. We tend to think that you know God's got it. No problem whatsoever. It's going to all be taken care of. I'm going to be insulated from pain. Can I give you some bad news first? John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, In this world, you will have trouble. 
John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. Lest you think that because you praise God and because you commit to God and because you have followed Jesus, that now everything's going to go perfectly right. You're never going to face trouble and temptation and suffering and trial. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Anybody in pain today? painful expectation. But it doesn't stop there, you see, because Jesus goes on. He says this, watch. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. But then he says this, believe in God and believe also in me. So Jesus is giving us the pathway through the troubled feelings that we have. He says, hang on a second, believe God Believe also in me. So what we're surmising from this, the implication is that our belief in God is what's going to carry us through the pain that we face. Our belief in God is what going to, it's what's going to help us navigate through the difficulty that we're experiencing. Our belief in God is going to give us roots. Our belief in God is going to place us ten toes down. Our belief in God is going to place us on solid ground. Our belief in God. There's something about believing in who God truly is. There's something about believing in what God has truly said. You know, whenever I'm on a plane, it seems like someone will always ask me, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, you know, I'm, I, I try to navigate my way around it, you know. And some people say, I, I, well, I encourage people, right? Well, I, I bless people. You know, sometimes the Lord has convicted me so much. He's like, just tell them what you do. I say, okay, I'm a pastor. And they'll always inevitably ask, how do you come to a belief in God, in a God that you can't see? And I think it's a fair question. I think it's a reality that we live in. We live in a time of skepticism. We live in a time of curiosity. I think it's fair for them to ask that question. You see, but I always like to talk to them about the character and the nature of God. Can I tell you something, give you some free advice? If you're going to navigate through trouble, you better know who God is. If you're going to navigate through trouble, you better understand God's attributes. Scholars and professors, Bible professors and theologians, they call this theology proper. They say theology proper is the study of God and all of his attributes. And one of the attributes of God is that he is transcendent. Can you say that with me? Can you say transcendent? transcendent. That means he is above all things. That means he is sovereign. That means he's in a class all by himself. You see, but if God was transcendent, it speaks to his authority. If he was just transcendent, that wouldn't be enough. You see, I need a God who can do both. You see, God is not just transcendent, but the theology proper tells us that God is also imminent. Can you say imminent? God is transcendent. It means he's above all things. It speaks to his authority, and God is imminent, which means he's involved in human affairs. That speaks to his proximity. He has incarnational proximity to us. The old folks used to say, God sits high, but he looks low. And if it's true that God is transcendent and God is imminent, that God is above all things, yet he's in the middle of all things, listen, then here's what I know. When it comes to trouble, God can be in trouble and not in trouble at the same time. Did you catch that? I said God can be in trouble and not in trouble at the same time. Let me put it a different way. God can be in trouble with you, but not in trouble like you. God can be in trouble by your side, but not facing the same things you're facing. In other words, God can be in your situation and not face any of your limitations. Is there anybody in here who is glad to serve a God who is both God up there and God right down here? Has 
Has anyone felt his presence and said, I know I'm going through something, but I'm not going through it alone. Can you give God some praise? He's God up there and he's God down here. He can be in trouble and not in trouble at the same time. That's a bad God right there. That's a God who's for real right there. This is why Jesus is saying confidently, he's saying, yes, in this world, you will have trouble. But the end of the verse, John 16, he says, but take heart. Why? I've already overcome the world. What you're facing right now has an expiration date. What you're facing right now will expire. You're, you're going to get through it because God has already overcome it. Come on, let's give him some praise. A painful expectation. But see, number two. He keeps going. Verse 2 through 3, he says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He says, My father's house. First, we have a painful expectation. Secondly, we have eternal preparation. Everybody say preparation. Jesus says something interesting. He says, my father's house. That don't strike us strange because we don't live in a first century Jewish context. That doesn't strike us strange. We see, okay, it's his father. We know reflexively, retroactively that there are, there are three persons, God the father, God the son, and God the spirit. We're Trinitarians, right? But see, back in that time, that would have been blasphemous for Jesus to say. And Jesus has mentioned it multiple times. He said in John chapter 2, when he was flipping the tables, he said that you're turning my father's house into a place of business. You're making a mockery of my father's house. They probably looked at him funny. Luke chapter 2, it says even before that, when he was around 12 years old, that he was in the synagogue and he was schooling the religious leaders and the rabbis. And then when his parents realized that they had left him, they came back and they asked him, where were you? And he said, don't you know I had to be about my father's business? Jesus is trying to show us something about eternal preparation. He says, my father's house has many rooms. Some translations say mansions, but the reality is it's probably closer to rooms or apartments or spaces for us to live. And he's saying, I'm going to prepare an eternal place for you to live. Yes. Now, there's something interesting about knowing you have a place to live when you're traveling. Uh, you know, it's something interesting. You know, have you ever been in that scenario where you had to evacuate from a hurricane? And, and I remember years ago, we had to evacuate based upon Hurricane Opal. And Hurricane Opal was coming so quickly, we didn't have a chance to secure reservations. And all the hotels were taken. And, and they didn't have Airbnb back then. And we didn't know anywhere, any, anybody where we were going. And so we ended up sleeping in a school. We slept in a shelter. I remember that there were a whole bunch of people and there were kids and everywhere. And there was a sense in which it was fun, but then there was another sense in which, where am I going to sleep? Anybody ever been in that position where you didn't know where you were going to lay your head? And Jesus is trying to show them, I'm going to set aside a room for you. I'm going to have a place eternally prepared for you. You realize Jesus is thinking about your future. Jesus is thinking about where you're going to go. Jesus is thinking about where you'll end up. Jesus is thinking about your eternal destiny. He's saying, I'm going to set aside a place for you. And how do we get access to that place? He says, well, well it's in my father's house. Yeah. I remember years ago, I was staying with a friend 
Um, actually, well, I was just traveling, and I, I called up one of my friends, and I said, bro, is, is there any place that you would know that I could stay? Because I'm on this work trip, and I just want to hang out for a couple of days. And it was in Tennessee, and he was like, man, you can just stay at our house. Now, I didn't know we had that type of relationship, so I was kind of sitting back. I was like, really? Are you sure? He's like, yeah, man. I was like, listen, I'm going to get in really late. He's like, man, just come to this address. We got a room for you. Come to the address. Sure enough, he's got a room for me. He's got great accommodations. His parents are in the house. And I'm like, man, are you sure your parents are okay with it? He's like, man, of course. Of course they're okay with it. And then we wake up the next morning, and they have breakfast prepared. And, and then his father comes in. So, you know, naturally, because I'm in his house, I stand up. And, and he walks over to me with this big smile on his face. He says, young man, gives me a firm handshake. And he says, hey, I just want to let you know this house is your house. And so I said, <laughs> I said, what you mean this house is my house? He said, well, this house is your house. You're our guest. So I said, oh, okay. It's like Mikasa Sukasa. I get it. I get it. You know, <laughs> you know, this house is my house. I have access to everything. Thank you. I appreciate that. And he says, no, I, I don't think you understand. Whenever you need to stay here, you can stay here. I said, okay. He said, we're going to keep that room up there prepared for you. So whenever you're traveling, you can stay here. I said, well, that's really nice, sir. And he gets ready to walk away. And then he turns around and he says, you know what? I, I, I want to remind you or, or let you know if he hasn't told you, but I got another house too. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, it's in the Caribbean. It's a house and, 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 and it's a nice house. And we go there for vacations. I just want to let you know that house is your house too. No, I said, wait a minute now, what's going on? Whenever you want to stay there, you let me know. And I, I was getting ready to say, sir, I, I, you don't even know me. I mean, I don't, even really, I don't even really have access to your family except through your son. He said, see, that's the key right there. You have a relationship with my son, and because you have a relationship with my son, you have access to everything I own. Did you hear what I just said? He said, because you have a relationship with my son, I have unlocked all the things that I own, so now you have access to it. Can I help somebody who's wondering how they're going to get through trouble? You need to be connected to the Son. You need to be connected to God the Son. You need to be connected to Jesus Christ himself because Jesus unlocks everything that the Father owns. Aren't you glad you have a relationship with Jesus? Aren't you glad that you are eternally prepared because God has set aside a place? for those who have a relationship with his son. Yeah. Ain't that good news, church? Yeah. Isn't that exciting to know that all we need to get everything that we need is involved in the son? Yeah. It's involved in our relationship with the son. You see, painful expectation, eternal preparation, number three, ultimate destination. Everybody say destination. destination. Listen, this way he says. Verse four, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas says, what do you mean? You're skirting past this. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, he says this, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus matter-of-factly states to his disciples that, are, that they are already fully aware of where he's going. But Thomas is honest, honest enough to say, I don't know what, what you're talking about. How are we going to get to the place that you have called us? You ever been walking through life and not known where you were going to end up? You ever been walking through the path in the middle of trouble, in the middle of pain, in the middle of suffering? You're looking around, you're saying, 
God, am I going in the right direction? Anybody honest enough to admit sometimes you don't know if you're going in the right direction? God, am I supposed to take a left? Am I supposed to take a right? Am I supposed to keep going? Am I supposed to stop? Am I supposed to turn around and take an alternate route? He says, you know the way that I'm going. And Thomas says, what do you mean? We don't know the way that you're going. You see, Thomas is confused about the ultimate destination. Thomas is confused about the pathway to get where he needs to go. Can I give some encouragement to the church today? Can I give some encouragement to those who are believers today? Can I speak to the broader church community today? Now is not the time to be confused about the route that we're going to take. Now is not the right time for us to look around and be unsure. Now is not the right time for us to look around and act as though we don't know what we're doing. You see, we better be prepared because people are watching us. People are looking around and saying, you're pointing to this way, but I don't know what the way is. And Jesus, he has to pipe up and he has to say this. He has to say, I am the way. See, there's something that I learned when I was much younger. I learned much younger that there are these cliche phrases that I thought didn't have any meaning. I thought that they didn't have any power. And these cliche phrases were things that the old folks used to say all the time. And, you know, I used to roll my eyes at it. And I used to say, you know, they're always saying the same thing. And, and then I grew up a little bit. And then I went through some things. And then I had some car accidents. And then I had some pain in my body. And then I struggled with my finances. And I struggled in my relationships. And then I realized, oh, oh. Those are the things that are going to get me through the time that I'm facing right now. And they used to always say this thing, God always makes a way out of no way. God makes a way out of no way. And, you know, sometimes I sit back and I think, man, I don't really know if that's the case. You know, that might work for my parents. That might work for the people around me. But I'm not sure if God can truly make a way out of no way. And then I read in the Bible, and there's an encyclopedia in the Bible of men and women and people who have gone through things, and they can testify to the fact that I know God can make a way out of no way. Does anyone have a testimony that God can make a way out of no way? You see, if you ask Noah, Noah would tell you that God can be the shelter in a time of storm. If you ask Abraham, Abraham would tell you that God can make a way by providing a, a ram in the bush when you need a sacrifice. You see, if you ask Joshua, he would tell you that God can make a way by destroying a wall no matter how high it is. See, if you ask Gideon, he, he would tell you that God can make a way by confusing your enemies. You see, if you ask Ruth, she would tell you that God can make a way by giving you family when you lost all the people that you love. You see, if you ask Benaiah, he would say that God can make a way by giving you strength to kill a lion in a pit on a snowy day. You see, if you ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would say that God can make a way by giving you fireproof clothing. You see, you see, if you ask Esther, she would tell you that God can make a way by giving you favor with kings and royalty and people in high positions. If you ask David, he would tell you God can make a way by giving you strength to kill a giant, even though you're underestimated, even though you're forgotten about, even though people didn't care about you. You see, if you ask Peter, he would tell you that God can turn your disqualification into restoration. If you ask Paul, he would tell you that God can turn a Damascus road into an altar call. You see, if you ask Paul and Silas, they would tell you God can turn a praise party into a prison break. Are you hearing me, church? God always makes a way. But that's not it. There was this story of a missionary who was in a foreign field, and he was passing through a pathway, and he didn't know where he was going. And he went through brush, 
and he went through shrubs and he went through all this other stuff and he was looking around and he was lost and he stumbles outside of the grove of trees that he was in and he sees a native villager. He says, I'm looking for the path. Can you show me the path? And the native villager, he stands up. He says, sure. And he walks the same way he had just come out of. And the man looks around and he's like, but I just came out of that way. I know what I'm looking for is not over there, you see. And the native villager says, just trust me, just follow me. And after a while, they're going through these, this path of trees and they're going through this shrub. And then the man stops the native villager. He says, hold up. Are you sure you know where the path is? Where is the path? And the native villager looks back at him, laughs and says, I'm the path. Church, you missed your shout. He said, you've been looking for something for your whole life. But in the end, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the path except through me. I am the path. Can I testify for you, church? Because 2,000 years ago, on a hill called Calvary, the Son of God stretched his arms high and wide, looked down with blood dripping from his body, gave up the ghost and said, I'm just going to let you know right now, I'm the path. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Can I help you? Can I help you today, church? The path you've been looking for, the way through trouble, it's not a path, it's a person. It's not a destination, it's a personification. His name is Jesus. Can you lift your hands right now? His name is the name that is above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. He looks at the disciples and say, if you're looking for the way through trouble, here I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man gets to the Father except by going through me. He is the way. He's the path. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit would come down, would anoint every phone, every camera, every laptop, every screen, every device. Father, we have encouraged ourselves by reminding us that you are the way. You are the truth. You are Yes, indeed, the life. You provide us with eternal life. It's not just fire insurance. It's not just our way of getting everything that we want. You're not a genie in a bottle, but you have promised us life and life more abundantly. Father, I pray that it would encourage us, that it would empower us, that we would remember those who have come before us. And I think there are just a few people in here, God, that can say, I understand what he did for the people in the Bible days, but God has done something for me. He's made a way for me where there is no way. And some of the people who are praising God the most have the least amount of clarity. They have the most amount of confusion, but they're saying, I trust that he knows the way. I trust that he is the way through trouble. Father, those, for those whose hearts are troubles, I pray that that you would present yourself to them even in the quietness of this moment. I have three people that I'm talking to. The first group of people are people who don't know the way. They don't know the truth. They don't know the life. They don't know who Jesus is. If that's you and you're watching online, I just want you to, to put up the hand emoji right now. Just put up the hand emoji. Or I just want you to type in, that's me. That's me. 
You know, I know that it seems like we need an altar call and we need this fancy thing where people scream and holler and shout and pray for people, but God can minister to you right now in the quiet of your bathroom, in the quiet of your bedroom, in the quiet of your closet. He can wipe those tears from your eyes. I see you crying. He can wipe those tears from your eyes. He can provide the love you've been looking for, the hope that you've been searching for. If that's you, just type in, that's me, or put up the hand emoji in the comment section. I just want us to pray right now. Father God, right now, would you reveal yourself to everyone who is hurting, who is yearning, who is looking for the way, the truth, the life. You are present. You are here. You are God. You are the path. If that's you, I just want you to pray right now, God. I, I thank you that you love me. I, I, I know that I may not have... I know that I may not have done everything right in in my life, but I want a relationship with you. I want to get to know who you are. I want to love you. I want you to love me. I want to give you the permission to come into my heart and be the king of my life. You pray it in whatever way you feel. There are no magic words to pray, but you pray it in whatever way that you feel, and God will save you. Second group of people are the people who know the way but are a little confused right now, a little concerned a little insecure, a little in pain, suffering, troubled. Their hearts are tossed and turned like the wind. If that's you, I just want you to put up your hand emoji. I want you to say, hey, that's me. I'm in that second group of people. I know the way, but I'm a little bit confused about if he's really real. If that's you, I just want to pray for you right now. Father God, I pray for those who know the way, know the path, but are confused as to whether or not You're still real in their lives. You're still present in their situation. Right now, the Spirit of God is falling upon you. God loves you. He hadn't forgotten about you. He's walking with you through it. He says, I'm preparing a place for you. In the end, it'll make sense. Your pain has an expiration date, but don't get weary in well-doing. I'm right here with you. Third group of people are the people who find themselves with specific needs, specific needs, not general feelings, specific needs. If you have a specific need, whether it be financial, whether it be educational, whether it be relational, whatever it is, I want you to put your hand up. I want you to say, that's me. I want you to put your hand up right now. Hand emoji. Say, that's me in the comment section. God can make a way where there is no way. Listen, I want you to hear me because this is important. We respect and we honor science. We follow science. We believe that science is God's gift to us. We believe that the experts and the healthcare professionals should be followed. But there is an element that the church must be praying for, and that is the supernatural element. The supernatural element doesn't make logical, rational sense. But the supernatural element is a way where God can make a way where there isn't one. And we pray for supernatural provision right now for everyone with a specific need of health, of healing, of education, of money. Those who need groceries, those who need essentials, I pray that you would make a way where there is no way. God, I pray that you would come down and that you would open up doors that no man can shut, shut doors that no man can open, that you would give supernatural financial increase and provision. In every area of our lives, God, we come to you, not just generally, but we come to you specifically. We say, meet our needs, God. 
There's no other help that we know except for you. We look to the hills from whence come our help. Our help comes from you. And we'll give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. You are the way in Jesus' name. He is the way through trouble. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said? Come on, why don't you put your hands together?